like having sinners down here close to me where I can talk to them, you know. And uh, it is a little easier if you've ever done this kind of thing to have people that you can look in the eye and not feel like you're a mile away from them. So thank you for making a little adjustment. And we'll stop, give you plenty of time to get back to the smoking section, all right? And uh, we're happy that you came early. Hope you've had a good day today. And uh, I love this subject. It's dear to my heart because this is the work I'm trying to give my life to, which is getting the gospel out and getting people to Jesus. Now, as an evangelist, one of the things God has worked on me about, I'll give you a personal word before we go to the Scriptures, is that if everything reproduces after its own kind, that's a Bible principle, right? Then every Christian, if they reproduce, what do they make? Another, that's a smart class, all right? So uh, believers reproduce themselves. Other people come to know the Lord as their Savior. As an evangelist, one of the things that is really a burden on my heart is that I want to reproduce other gospel witnesses. Everybody's not going to be an evangelist in the sense that they're going to travel and preach sermons and whatever, uh, but everybody, every Christian ought to be fulfilling the Great Commission. So when I leave a church, I'm always asking myself, are there new believers left behind and are there new witnesses left behind? And here's what's really exciting. We had people saved yesterday. That was thrilling to me. But when I look at this group, this is where I'm thinking of the principle of multiplication because long after I'm gone, long after the meeting's done, long after the, the, the few days are over, if all of us are still giving out the gospel, think how many people are going to hear about Jesus and how many more people are going to have the opportunity to come to know Christ as their Savior. And so that's really what we're all about. And let's begin in the book of Acts. Would you open your Bible with me, please, to this great book of action? It's the great gospel book. Somebody's referred to it as the fifth gospel record uh, because it really is the book of the continuing Christ. And I want you to go to Acts chapter 21. That may not be the, the text everybody thinks I'm going to go to, but let me go to the end of the story, and we'll work our way back from there. Because Acts chapter 21 is the last mention of the man that tonight and tomorrow night in our two sessions I want to use as an example to you. You know, you learn a lot by pictures, at least I do. How many of you order off menus by pictures? Yes. Uh, I, I do better if I can see it. And I think that's one of the reasons the Lord gives us people in Scripture because you look at their lives, you don't just see them, you see you. And so there's instruction in the illustration. And one of the great Bible characters in the book of Acts, lesser known than Peter, a lesser known than Paul, but greatly used to the Lord to get the gospel out, was a man named Philip. In fact, one of the people that got saved yesterday, his name was Philip. And I said to him, did you know you're in the Bible? He said, yeah, he was the guy that told other people about Jesus. And uh, he's exactly right. Look at the text, Acts chapter number 21, verse number 8. Paul's missionary team comes through Caesarea by the sea. And the next day we that were of Paul's company departed and came unto Caesarea, and we entered into the house of, circle this in your Bible, Philip the Evangelist, which was one of the seven and abode with him. Now, that little phrase, one of the seven, is really important. Keep that in your mind because it's going to connect us to the first mention of Philip in just a minute. We're going back in the book of Acts. But I'm taking you to the end because this is the one occasion where Philip is called the evangelist. I think this is really fascinating. He did not call himself the evangelist. Other people said it of him. Other people observed this guy's life and said, let me just tell you, that guy is just all about telling people about Jesus. See, the word evangelist, I think, really has lost its meaning today, and that's unfortunate because people think of a guy like me. But evangelism is for all of God's children. Evangelist is rooted in the word evangel. 
That's a word we don't use much anymore, but do you know who the evangel is? Christ. It is the same word we get our word gospel from. In other words, the good news is not something. The good news is someone, and his name is Jesus. And everybody's job is to get the good news of Jesus to as many people as we possibly can. So Philip gave his life to getting out the gospel, so much so that 20 years after he's first mentioned in the book of Acts, he's still doing the work of the gospel. I prayed this for myself today. Lord, if you let me live until you're coming 20 years from now, let me still be known as somebody trying to get the gospel out. Because this is the whole thing. Now, it's important that you understand Philip was not the only evangelist. Matter of fact, lots of people were doing the work of an evangelist, and the New Testament talks about that. But he is the only man mentioned in the New Testament that is called the evangelist. Now, why would that be? When the Holy Spirit says something repeatedly, that's emphasis. When the Holy Spirit says something sparingly, that's emphasis. I think the Holy Spirit reserved this title, if you will, for Philip, not because he was the only guy doing it, but because he is the Spirit-inspired picture of what it looks like. He wasn't a perfect man. Nobody does it perfectly, but he's a man who was so exemplary in the way he gave the gospel out. It's like the Holy Ghost said, write this down, Luke, when he wrote the book of Acts. He's the evangelist. And let it be known that if you follow Philip's pattern, you too can learn to give the gospel to others. Now, with that in mind, I want you to take out a piece of paper, something to write with, and across the top of it, I'd like you to write this expression, a gospel Christian. Let me just ask you, are you a gospel Christian? Immediately, I think most of us will say, oh, yeah, I believe the gospel. That's not what I ask. A gospel Christian is not just someone who believes the gospel or has received the gospel or has obeyed the gospel. In fact, you couldn't even be a Christian if you didn't believe and obey the gospel. The gospel is the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and our response to it, simple faith in Christ as our only Savior. So that being said, how many of you have believed the gospel? Would you raise your hand? How many of you are still glad you've believed the gospel? All right. But that, though you may say, well, yes, I started with the gospel, does not mean that the gospel has really defined your whole life. I want you to make a note somewhere that a gospel Christian is not just a person who's been saved. A gospel Christian is a person who is allowing the gospel to direct their whole life. In other words, they're so taken with the good news of Jesus. They're so consumed with Christ, they're so controlled by what the Lord left us here to do that whatever they do for a living, that's not what I'm talking about, they are giving their life to try to get that gospel to other people. I'm standing here right now thinking of the woman who gave me the gospel. How many of you remember somebody who gave you the gospel? All right, would anybody on earth think of you if that question were asked? Is there anybody on earth that would say, he's the one who gave me the gospel? She's the one who told me about Jesus. That's the family that stayed after us and got us under the preaching of the truth. In other words, when you meet God someday, will you meet any believers there who were there because God used, them, used you to reach them with the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's what it means to be a gospel Christian. And I really think this. I think Philip is the man who exemplifies what that looks like. 
So in the two sessions that we have, I'm going to give you a long list, and it's not my list. It all comes from the Bible. It all comes from the life and labors of Philip. I'm going to give half of it tonight and half of it tomorrow night, and I want you to try to get the whole list because this will help you examine your life and think, okay, what adjustments do I need to make so I can help get the gospel to other people? Let's go back to the first mention now of Philip, and we'll come forward from there. Go with me to Acts chapter number 6. Because this is where we are first introduced to him, ironically, in a pretty difficult time in the church. There's some fussing and fighting going on. Now, I hope that never happens in your church. But every now and then, believers can get at odds with each other and start fussing about things. And somebody said some churches are more like goat pens than sheepfolds because everybody's always butting heads all the time. It's not supposed to be that way, but sometimes it gets that way. And in Acts chapter number 6, there's a little dispute because some of the widows are being neglected and they're trying to figure out what to do. And, of course, you know the story. The context of the text is this is the first mention of the deacons. Everybody remember what we just read in Acts 21? He was one of the seven, uh, seven original deacons who came alongside and helped the ministers, helped the church. The word deacon means servant. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. Well, here's one of the original ones. Look at verse Acts chapter number 6. Uh, look at verse number uh, 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report. That means they have to have a good testimony. They've got to be genuine people. And here's a key phrase, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. Uh, what business? It was the business of taking care of the needs of the church. Who were they looking for? Did, was it just saved people? Well, they had to be saved, brethren, members of the family of God. Please don't miss this. It's not enough that you're saved. You have to be spiritual. You do understand every saved person is not a spiritual person, right? Every person that knows Jesus isn't living like it. Everybody that has Christ living within is not really full of the Holy Spirit like they ought to be. So here's the first thing. If you're going to be a gospel Christian, write this down. Number one, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. The first mention gives us the first principle. This is really important because it, it doesn't start with what you do. See, everybody thinks in a, in a training session like this, the idea is, well, he's going to teach us how to give our testimony more effectively, how to use gospel tracts, how to memorize a certain logical presentation of the gospel. I'm all for all of that. But I think sometimes we have created religious robots who say all the right things and have none of the power of God, and there's a reason for that. Because they're full of knowledge, but they're not full of the Holy Spirit. And I want to say to you that one of the reasons God so used this man was not because he was smart, not because he was a good speaker. In fact, we don't know really, as far as his public speaking, what kind of orator he was. I would guess he probably was not the preacher uh, that Peter was or that Paul may have been. He never writes a book like Paul would write, so he doesn't have maybe some of the gifts that others do, but this was a man who was so full of the Holy Spirit, God could use him. And I think this is really important. This is the, this is the Holy Ghost starting point for all of us because if you want God to use you to bring other people to Jesus, then you need to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God that lives inside of you and totally dependent on Him. This is not just us teaching you how to do a better job giving a presentation and uh, appealing to people. This is about saying, if you'll walk with Jesus and be full of the Holy Spirit, God will work through you. Let me testify for just a moment. As a preacher, one of the most thrilling things on earth to me 
is while I am speaking, while I'm preaching, or while I'm teaching, suddenly I'm conscious. And I'm not trying to be spooky. I'm just telling you this is spiritual and it's real. I'm conscious at times while I'm speaking, this is not me. This is not even what I necessarily prepared to say or the way I thought I would say it. But I know I'm being divinely carried along by the Holy Spirit. God's helping me. Now, here's what I've discovered. That's not just good in a pulpit. That is good any time you speak for the Lord and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. So, you could be standing at a door talking to somebody. You could be sitting over a hamburger talking to a friend. You could be speaking to a stranger at the gas station. But if you're a Spirit-filled person, He gives you the enabling to know what to say and how to say it and the boldness to say it. In fact, look at that verse just a minute. You see where it says that they had to be full of the Holy Ghost? It says something else. Full of the Holy Ghost and what? I want you to make a note of this somewhere. The Holy Spirit is always the one who gives wisdom. This is not enough to have knowledge. This is wisdom. This is discernment. This is knowing not only what to say but how to say it. And it is the Holy Spirit of God that gives that. I hear people say all the time, oh, I don't know what to say. Look, we're going to help you with some of that, but here's the beautiful part about it. If you'll be right with God and yielded to the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will help you know how to connect with people and what to say to people. In other words, it's got to grow and flow out of who you are. This is not just about something that you do. And there's a second thing I want you to write down. If you're going to be a gospel Christian, according to Philip's example, you not only have to be filled with the Holy Spirit, number two, you need to be a servant of Christ and the church. Remember who Philip was. He, he first wasn't known as the evangelist. He first was known as the deacon. And the word deacon literally means servant. Are you a servant? And it's funny, lots of people want to be in charge. Let me just tell you from personal experience, being in charge is not all it's cracked up to be. Everybody thinks, I like to be the boss. And people think, well, the guy up in front, he's the one. No, I think you missed the whole point. Because Philip didn't start by, by holding citywide campaigns. Where did he start? Waiting tables. Taking care of widows. How many of you want God to use your life? How many of you like God to use you to bring some people to heaven with you? Yes? Let me tell you where to start. Start by having this attitude. I'm the servant of Jesus. And whatever he wants and however he wants to use me, the answer is yes. And, and this is really important. When you're a servant of Christ, you're also a servant of the church. Now, let me tell you what I don't mean by that. Everybody's not going to be a deacon. In fact, let me just tell you authoritatively, ladies, you're not going to be a deacon, all right? Uh, it's kind of hard to be the husband of one wife, you know, and serve in, in that capacity. Uh, but the reality is you can be a servant and you can serve the Lord, and you can serve others, and God can use you. And this is so wonderful. Everybody look at Acts chapter number 6, verse number 4. Uh, they say, we're going we're gonna to have these deacons, these servants, and we will give ourselves contented prayer to the ministry of the word. Look at verse 5. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Ghost. So he's, he's the first guy, first martyr of the church too. Who's second on the list? Everybody look at verse 5. Whose name's second? I'm sorry, who? And who, which Philip is this? Philip the evangelist, right? But right now he's Philip the deacon. Look at it. And Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. I wish you had time to talk to you about this. Do you know even the names imply that these were men from very different backgrounds? This is fascinating. See, some people think God only uses a certain kind of person. No, God made everybody. God gifted you uniquely. God made you you. And God wants to use you. I remember a friend years ago who had a stuttering problem. 
and people would have thought that this man with a stuttering problem, stammering tongue, would have had a hard time speaking to people about the Lord. It was the exact opposite. Because even his speech impediment, he was so yielded to God and filled with the Holy Spirit, when he spoke to people, guess what people did? They listened carefully. And instead of it being a hindrance to him speaking for the Lord, I think in some ways God actually used that. Look, God will use the good, the bad, and the ugly in your life. How many of you are glad God uses ugly? Yes? So these are people from very different backgrounds, all finding their place, doing their part, and here's what I want you to see. Look at verse 6. They set them before the apostles. When they prayed, they laid their hands on them. And everybody look at verse 7. And the word of God increased. And the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. You know revival has come to town when the religious people are getting right with God. Isn't that right? Even the priests are getting saved. It's powerful stuff. When did it happen? Did it happen when the apostles preached better sermons? When did it happen? It happened when these spirit-filled servants all found their place and plugged in and said, we can't do everything, but we're going to do something. And we can't reach everybody, but we're going to reach somebody. And I love this. When everybody finds their place and does their part, just think how God could use a local church to impact a community and a world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. So, you want to be a gospel Christian? It doesn't start by just grabbing a handful of tracts. Number one, you've got to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Number two, you've got to be a servant of Christ and the church. Number three, come with me over to Acts chapter number eight. Here's the big chapter on Philip. This is the famous chapter, Acts chapter eight, where we know most about him. Look at Acts chapter eight. Let's just start reading in verse number one. And Saul, everybody know Saul? He's going to become Paul. Saul was consenting unto his death. Whose death? Stephen. They're stoning Stephen. Saul's holding the coats. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which is at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Stop, lift your head and look at me just a minute. How many of you think those are some pretty depressing verses? Stephen gets stoned to death. Saul at this point is not yet converted. That comes in the chapter number 9. And right now he's arresting Christians and putting them in jail for being followers of Jesus and preachers of the gospel. By the way, just remind you that Saul was a terrorist. And the gospel changed him. The gospel is the power of God and the salvation to everyone that believeth. So don't ever forget the power of the gospel and what happens when we start getting it out. And frankly, these opening verses think this is depressing. And then you come to verse number four, therefore. In other words, literally because of this, because of the persecution, because of the martyrdom of Stephen, because of the, of the terrible, despicable acts of Saul, therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip, there he is, verse 5, mark him in your Bible, went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Write down number three. You're going to be a gospel Christian? You've got to only be filled with the Spirit and a servant of Christ in the church. Number three, you have to begin to look for divine appointments in your daily circumstances. Look, look. Get awake, get alert. Open your eyes, open your heart, begin to look because God makes divine appointments 
for his children. And sometimes he even uses difficult circumstances to get it done. My dad was just telling me about a man he got to lead to the Lord in a, in a, in a hospital. He got called as a chaplain to go speak to a man, pray with a man who had tried to commit suicide. Dad didn't know him and didn't even know that he'd tried to take his own life. Walks into the room, pulls a piece of gospel literature out of his pocket, and the piece of gospel literature that he was using was a picture of a famous bridge that's not far from where we live. It's, it's one, of the, one of the longest single arch span bridges in the world and uh, 896 feet above the, the New River. As a matter of fact, last, uh, last Saturday they had bridge. They had 100,000 people on the bridge. 200 and some people base jumped, parachuted off of the bridge. It's, it's quite an iconic thing in our region. And Dad had a gospel track with that bridge on the front of it. He takes the track out and hands it to the guy and says, I want to give you something to read about knowing Jesus. And the guy is stunned. Tears fill his eyes and he said, Preacher, do you know why I'm in here? And he said, no, I, I know that you had some situation and we're, we're near death. He said, I tried to take my life. He said, do you know I almost jumped off that bridge? He said, I was standing on that bridge and they talked me down and, and brought me into this hospital. And standing in that hospital room with that picture of a bridge in front of them, Dad gave him the gospel and the man got saved. I'm going to tell you what that is. That's a divine appointment right there. Like you can't orchestrate that. Only the Lord can connect those dots. Do you understand that even the persecution was used of God? In fact, historically, persecution has been one of the means of God getting the church to advance. Get out of Jerusalem. Get to Judea. Get to Samaria. Get to the uttermost. We all get pretty comfortable, don't we? What's going to nudge us out? What's going to, mm, what's going to project, prod us out? Maybe it's persecution. Uh, somebody said the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church. Well, they just had a martyr. And now suddenly there's a little spiritual stirring going on. In fact, this word scattered, everybody mark that word scattered in your Bible. When I think scattered, I think something's being wasted, don't you? Uh, it's like it's disappearing. It's, it's being scattered. And in a sense, Satan scatters and sin scatters. But did you know there's actually two different New Testament words for scattered? One of them means that, like to make disappear, kind of like the wind blew it away and it was gone. The other word for scattered was a word that they used for sowers in that agricultural context who would go out and sow seed into the ground. Did you know that's the word the Holy Spirit uses here? Oh, I love this. When they got scattered, somebody said, that's awful. They lost their homes and, and had to leave where they were familiar with and go to foreign countries. And yeah, But let me tell you what God was doing. The sower went forth to sow, and Jesus was just scattering his gospel seed everywhere those people went. And the powerful reality is, yes, we should go intentionally. We should go looking for people. But I'm just going to be honest with you. I think if God's people just get awake enough, they might be surprised how many people the Lord brings across our path. As you go, preach, he said to his disciples. That's what's going on here. They're looking for the divine appointments that God has made for them. You've got to see God in the scattering. Is it possible that you broke down on the side of the road so that that record driver could come pull, tow your car? Somebody said, I don't think that could happen. It happened to me one day. Broke down the side of the road, and I was ticked off about it too. I fussed and mumbled and moaned, and, you know, it was hot, and, and waited around for a while, and the record driver shows up, and sure enough, guess what? God sent a man to pick me up, and it wasn't at all about my car. He was a lost man and needed Jesus. It was a divine appointment. 
Maybe we need to start right where we are and say, all right, Lord, what appointments are you making for me that I'm missing every day? There's a fourth truth I want you to write down. This is what gospel Christians do. Look at verse 5 again. The Bible says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria. Mark Samaria in your Bible and write this principle down. Ask God to give you a love for all people. The Samaritans were despised. They were hated. They were, the, they were considered the half-breeds to these pure Jews. Uh, that's why it was a big deal in John chapter 4 when Jesus must needs go through Samaria. He actually went 30 miles outside the normal Jewish route to go through Samaria to sit on a well to speak to a woman. Why? Because God loves everybody. And here's the dirty little secret. We all have our prejudices. Every stinking one of us. We look at certain kinds of people, whoever they may be, and we see their culture, we see their religion, and we see the way they look, and we begin immediately passing judgment on them. But let me tell you something about the gospel. The gospel is the most equal thing on earth. We're all equally sinners. We're all equally going to go to hell. Jesus died for every man, and everybody gets saved the same way. And the old preacher used to say, the ground's level at the foot of the cross. So in a world that's looking for equality, we got to start looking through gospel lenses, not political lenses, not economic lenses. No, no, not even language lenses. we got to start looking through the gospel lens and seeing people like Jesus sees them. i tell you what I personally believe. I think that the revival that breaks out in Samaria, and they had a real spiritual awakening, like the city getting right with God, I think this was the fulfillment and the fruition of what Jesus started there in John chapter 4. Because you remember when the woman got saved, what did she do? She goes back in the city, comes see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? And they all come out, and many more believe on him. There were believers there, so much so that by the time Philip showed up, man, that thing was, it was ready to, to explode. You never know how the Lord may use you in his greater work to accomplish what he's trying to accomplish. But you've got to look at those Samaritans and see souls for whom Jesus died. And so one of the things gospel Christians do is they pray, Lord, help me love people. Help me, help me think of them like Jesus thinks of them. Help me speak to them like Jesus would speak to them. Well, what is the Great Commission? Acts chapter 1, you should receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you should be witnesses unto me both in what? Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. You're not going to get to the uttermost if you can't learn to love the Samaritans. There's a divine order and a spiritual chain reaction that far too often gets dead-ended because there's some group of people that we look at and think, man, nah, they're not interested. Let me tell them myself, all right? Sometimes I have discovered that when I'm witnessing people, talking to people about the Lord, we all size people up. Don't we do that? And by the way, they're sizing you up too. And I have looked at some people in my interactions. I, I talk to so many people week after week, week after week, traveling like this. But I'll see some guy, and he's, he's got tattoos from head to toe and piercings all over his body and hair spiked 14 different ways. And my tendency would probably be to think, that's not a church guy. And my guess is he's probably not going to be interested. Can I tell you what I've discovered in my interactions? Many times those people are the most open people to the gospel. <laughs> so how's that possible? I'll tell you how. Because they're searching. Looking for identity. They're, they're looking for something meaningful to fill the emptiness on the inside. 
we got to stop seeing people from the outside and begin to see them from the inside. That is an eternal soul. Let me add another one to it. Number, number five, you're going to be a gospel Christian? Speak much about Jesus. Did you notice in verse number five what he did when he got there? He just preached Christ to them. Just preach Christ. Just talk about Jesus. You don't talk about yourself. You don't have to win every debate and address every issue and figure out everything and fix everything. You don't have to always know what to say to every question. You've got to do one thing, talk about Jesus. By the way, this is, really, this is really wonderful. Stay with me now, okay? Would you mark it in verse 5? He preached what? He preached Christ to them. Come to verse number 12. Uh, when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, mark that down in your Bible. He's doing the same thing. Look at verse number 35. He gets out in the desert with the Ethiopian eunuch. Philip opened his mouth, began the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. Look at verse number 40. But Philip was found at Azotus, and passing through, he preached in all the cities to the king of Caesarea. Do you notice that he did the same thing everywhere? Everywhere he went to everyone he met, he did the same thing. They're all different people, but they all needed the same thing. You know what everybody needs? Everybody needs Jesus. Uh, this is interesting. Best I can tell, the only recorded words of Philip, I'm talking about in the Bible, that's all we have, the only recorded words of Philip, all of them are about Jesus. <laughs> that doesn't mean he never talked about anything else, but it means this. This was a guy that was so known for talking about Jesus that every time he had opportunity and he had a, a chance to talk, guess what he wanted to talk about? He just wanted to talk about Jesus. Wouldn't it be great if when we opened our mouth, we didn't just want to talk about ball and school and work and family, though there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But every now and then, don't you think a follower of Jesus ought to want to talk about Jesus? If we really say we love him, you talk about what you love. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So people say they love Christ and then never want to speak about him? Something's wrong there. And let's you in a little secret. Did you know when you start talking about Jesus, the Holy Spirit will start talking about Jesus? See, this is what the Holy Spirit wants to talk about. He wants to talk to everybody about Christ. Uh, when I start talking to people about Jesus, I can be talking to their head, to their ears, but the Holy Spirit starts talking to their heart. In fact, it's really a powerful thing because that's what the Holy Spirit wants to talk about. And so what did Philip do? He simply talked about Christ. Number six, write this one down. Lead new believers to identify with Christ. I noticed this earlier today, but every time somebody gets saved, he doesn't leave them there. He leads them to identify with Jesus publicly. Let me prove it to you. Look at verse number 12. When a whole bunch of people in Samaria got saved, what happened? They believed the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Look at verse number 39. When the Ethiopian eunuch gets saved, we'll talk more about that. Look at verse 39. They were come up out of the water. Verse 38 says, they went down into the water and he baptized him. This is really important. Why is this important? I want you to write this down, would you please? Our goal is not decisions, it's disciples. We're not just trying to get people to give mental assent, nod their heads, sign a card, pray a prayer. No, no, we're, we're seeking people for Christ. We're seeking to say we are following Jesus and we want to lead you to know Jesus and be his follower. That's the great commission. It's not just go preach. It's go preach, baptize, and preach and teach again. What's he doing? This is a gospel guy. 
This is a guy who gets the big picture and says, I want these people to know Christ and love Christ and follow Christ and tell others about Christ exactly like I am. So he led them to identify with Christ. Number seven, write this one down. Expect spiritual opposition. Just brace yourself, okay? You can just mark this one down. When you start trying to advance the gospel, the devil's going to push back. The gates of hell never like it when the church is advancing. So you just expect it. Somebody's going to laugh at you. Somebody's going to give you a hard time. Something's going to go wrong. Here's why. Because spiritual work, soul work, is spiritual warfare. When you're working for Jesus, by the way, you're on the winning side, so praise God for that. But when you're working for Jesus, just know this, you're on an active battlefield. Because everything God ordains, Satan opposes, and the devil hates everything the Lord loves. So if Jesus loves souls, Satan hates souls. If the Lord wants to bring life, the devil wants to bring death. So you're, you're engaged in spiritual warfare. Where does that come in? Look at verse uh, 9. There's a guy named Simon who was a sorcerer that pokes his head up. And 9, 10, and 11, it tells about this guy who had bewitched these people with sorceries. Now, he makes a profession of faith. We'll leave all that with the Lord. God knows. When you come down to verse number 18, he actually asks them if he can buy the power of God. He offers money to the apostles so he can do what they're doing, so he can have their power. For the record, you can't buy the power of God. That's not how it comes. This is a man that didn't understand spiritual things. He had been so in the bondage of the devil for so long. But I just found it interesting that in this chapter where the gospel is getting preached and a whole bunch of people are getting saved, it isn't just like the devil to poke his ugly head up. So know this. When you start trying to get the gospel out and bring people to Jesus, the devil's going to try to fight. Don't let that surprise you. I have noticed for me, you know, Pastor, we had a special day yesterday and people say, I have noticed for me that on days where there's a lot of lost people, and I'm going to preach the gospel, there is always either external distractions or internal turmoil. And sometimes I'll sit on the front row of a church and feel so unsettled. By the way, before you get up to preach, you don't want to feel unsettled. But I'll feel so torn and almost vexed in my spirit, and I've, I've come to recognize what it is. There's spiritual warfare going on. There's a, a world that you can't see as surely as there's a world you can see, and it's powerful, and there's a fight going on. And when you put yourself at the, at the tip of the spear, so to speak, to give the gospel, you put yourself right on an active battlefield. And so you just know this is going to create some opposition. Number eight, write this one down. Be sensitive to God's promptings. You've got to be open for God to lead you, for God to, to guide you. Uh, this was a man who was led of the Lord. Let me set the story for you. He's been preaching in Samaria, and the whole city's getting right with God. How many of you would like to be in a town where the whole town got turned upside down for Jesus? Let me just tell you, if that happened in a town, I'd just move into that town, I think. I'd say, we're not traveling for a while. We're going to stay here a little while. And this is fascinating. In the middle of that spiritual awakening, everybody look, please, at verse number 26. The angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise. And go toward the south under the way that go down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Hold up. You're telling me to leave all these thousands of people in the city of Samaria who are getting right with God and go off into the desert somewhere? What on earth? But there's not a single instance where it says he debated or questioned. He just did what the messenger of the Lord told him to do. Remember those divine appointments? You never know where God's going to make them for you. Don't put God in your box. can't put God in any box. We're in God's hand. 
And this is a man who's willing to be prompted. Come on down, please. Look at verse number 29. It happens again. He sees this guy in a chariot, and the Spirit said unto Philip, I wonder, could the Holy Spirit speak to you? If the Holy Spirit did speak to you, would you know his voice? Would he have to shout? Would he have to repeat himself? Or could he whisper? And you recognize this is the Lord. Look at it. Then the Spirit said unto Philip, Go near and join thyself to this chariot. He obeyed the promptings of God. He was sensitive enough to the Lord to let God lead him. You want to be a gospel Christian? Look, I'm glad you go out on Thursday night or Wednesday afternoon or Saturday morning. Great. But I'm telling you, this is not something you do. This is who you are. And this is not an hour a week. This is a way of life. And it means every day the Spirit-filled person is seeking to be led by the Holy Spirit. Write this one down. Number nine, don't be intimidated by anybody. You shouldn't be embarrassed, ashamed, cowardly to speak to anyone. You have what they need. Let me rephrase that. You have who they need. They need Jesus. Notice, please, verse number 27. He arose and went, that's good, and behold, look, a man of Ethiopia. By the way, could I just point this out? I wish I had time to show you. I could take you to the Psalms and show you that God prophesied that there would come a day that Ethiopia, which for the record had been very pagan and had been a, a, a thorn in the side of Israel, the psalmist said prophetically the day would come that Ethiopia would reach out her hands unto God. I believe this is the fulfillment of that prophecy, and it might interest you to know this is the first African convert. So you think nothing big's happening in the desert. So, so you think, well, it's just one person getting saved. You never know what God's doing there. This convert opened the gospel door to the entire continent of Africa. What do you think about that? But he's not just a man of Ethiopia. Look at it carefully. He's a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. This is a guy who represents a queen who's sitting in a really cool chariot, let me tell you. I mean, he's surrounded by guards, no doubt. He's dressed in the finest clothing. He's a rich man. And you'd think Philip, running through the desert <laughs> in a hurry, might look at that guy in the chariot and say, mm, I don't know about speaking to him. Could I just tell you, you don't have to be intimidated about speaking to anybody. I see all these young people here, and I'm thrilled that they're here. Do you know what I've discovered? I've discovered through the years that young people very often have the opportunity to win elderly people like no one else can. I actually remember people through the years we've taken out young people witnessing, and we have seen 80- and 90-year-old people come to the Lord Jesus as their personal Savior. They live their whole life. Lots of people talk to them. But finally, when a young person gave them the gospel, God tendered them and opened them. That's amazing. You can't explain that. But I'm saying to you, you don't have to be intimidated by age or authority, stage in life or station in life. Just give them the gospel. One more and we'll stop here for tonight. This is really important. Number 10, use the scriptures. You want to see people saved? You've got to use the gospel gun. You've got you to fire the, the, the right kind of ammunition. It's living ammunition too. It doesn't put them to death. It brings them to life. Uh, they need the Word of God, not just your words. Look down at verse number 28. He was reading Isaiah. Specifically, we'll come back to this tomorrow night, he was reading Isaiah 53. That was of the Lord too, a great redemptive passage. Uh, if you come down to verse 
number 32, uh, the place of the Scripture which you read was this. Look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same Scripture and preached unto him Jesus. Before I left town on Friday, uh, Micah and I went to make a, a visit to a man 93 years of age. Somebody had given me his, his information. And a uh, Korean War vet and a super nice guy, but lost. 93 years old, lost. And I thought when I went into the house, he's lived in our area his whole life, basically. I thought he's going to have some context, some church background, know about God. He did not know John 3.16. And I sat in his living room, and you know what I basically used? I took a couple of the scriptures, but I basically just used John 3.16. He got just captured with it. He got his reading glasses out, followed along. He said to me, Mark, that page. I want to go back and look at that more later. What page is that on? It's fascinating. One verse of scripture. And you may say, well, I, I want to memorize the Romans Road. Good, memorize the Romans Road. You may memorize lots of Scripture. You might use Isaiah 53. That's the Scripture they were using here. But my recommendation to you is you need some gospel text that's yours. You need to know a few gospel verses that are simple and direct and plain, the, the essential ingredients of the gospel, so that you don't have to know all the answers, but you need to be able to explain to somebody what the gospel is and how they can know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I'm just telling you something. Outside of your testimony, your own personal story of faith in Jesus, uh, the, the most powerful weapon you have, bar none, is the Word of God itself. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. You want to see people converted? You've got to use the Word of God. You've got to show them they're lost. You've got to show them Jesus will save them. You've got to show them how to be saved. But you've got to use the Word of God. And for the record, sometimes, sometimes when I'm really struggling trying to get people to a certain point of understanding, what I try to do is just get them to read the Bible for themselves. That's what this guy was doing. Don't expect everybody just assumes and knows everything. I remember a man years ago in Knoxville I was trying to win to the Lord. I gave him every track our church put out, told him everything I knew to tell him. He was a carpenter named Gene Milner. I'll never forget it. And one night I was at his house trying to get him saved, and he wouldn't get saved. Finally, I just exasperated. I said, Gene, you got a Bible? He said, yeah. I said, go get it. He went and got his Bible. And I marked the gospel according to John. I said, there's 21 chapters in this book. I'm going to make a deal with you. For the next three weeks, I want you to read one chapter a day. And before you read, I want you to pray, God, speak to me. Help me understand this. And I said, I'm going to do this for you. For the next three weeks, I'm going to pray for you every day. Is that a deal? He said, that's a deal. I'll never forget it. Shook my hand. I left his house. I was so broken that night. I remember weeping in the car thinking, man, that man needs to get saved. Why can't I get him there? The Lord was working on him. That Sunday, i never forget, I sit on the platform. Pastor Sexton preached, gave the gospel invitation. Gene sitting three rows back. He'd been coming to church pretty regular, sitting three rows back. I left where I was, went down in the invitation. Nobody's looking. I didn't want to embarrass him. I put my arm around him. I said, Gene, wouldn't you like to get saved this morning? He said, nope, already done that. I said, excuse me? He said, I've already done that. I said, I was just at your house on Thursday night. You told me you didn't want to be saved. He said, I know. He said, funny thing about that. He said, you know that book you asked me to read? Was it John? Yeah, John. He said, well, when you left the other night, I thought, well, I'll get started. And he said, I'll read my chapter. And he said, I went out on the back deck and started reading. He said, I read John chapter 1. He said, it was interesting. He said, so I read chapter 2, chapter 3, and 4, and 5. He said, do you know I sat there and read that whole book the other night? And he said, I don't know how to explain it. He said, but when I got finished, it was just like 
the light had come on. He said, I understood everything you'd been trying to say to me. He said, I don't know if I did it exactly the right way. He said, but I got down on my knees on the back deck and asked Jesus to be my Savior. He said, does that work? I said, oh, yeah, that works. The Word does the work. I'm telling you, if we can just get the Word of God, the gospel to people, the Holy Spirit will work and people will be saved. We must be gospel.